From CoLab and MIT, hello and welcome to the first episode of Here There Be Dragons. I'm Jess Myers. For this show, I spoke with seven New York natives from all over the city about safety and identity. The episodes that follow are their stories and experiences. This episode's theme is violence in the city. In this episode, we'll hear from... I'm Fernando Montejo. My name is Sean. My name is Justin Steele. My name's Carmen Chong. Each of the stories that follow talk about violence in the city. Violence, the experience of it, the threat of it, the rumor of it has a tendency to make even the most familiar places foreign to us. In the stories that follow, we'll hear the experiences of New Yorkers confronting and anticipating violence and moving beyond it. The next voice you'll hear is Fernando. I'm Fernando Montejo. Uh, I'm 27 years old. I'm currently a student at MIT doing a city planning master's program. Um, I'm also a partner and a brother and a son um, and a friend, many friends. Uh, I was born in Corona, Queens in New York City. We actually got robbed there. That was my first, I think my first actual memory as a kid of like that has scarred me for life. Like two young kids came in masked. I don't know what they had in their hands. There are times where I think it was, there were guns, but there are, I think they were also like hanging curtains. Whatever it was, it was scary. Like they beat up my uncle. Um, they threw me and my sister down to the couch. My mom was on the other side. Um, like I remember my uncle's head was bleeding. They stole a few things um, and then they left. So thankfully, like nothing drastic happened, but we were all scarred for life. Uh, especially my sister and I. Um, so that was like my early childhood, probably under five. And then, you know, like growing up, early teenager years, that was in Junction Boulevard, which is a much more like uh, mixed commercial area. We never left our door closed, like it was always open. Um, and even to this day, like our front porch, like the main gate of the house is open, um, which is interesting because we have not gotten robbed ever since that first time. For Fernando, the impact of the break-in was not stronger than his cultural and family ties to Corona. But what about when violence is not an event but a commonplace fixture in your life? When Sean's stepbrother joined a gang in the Bronx, he and his siblings became targets in their neighborhood. Dealing with gang tension meant understanding impassable boundaries. My name is Sean, I'm 23 years old. I'm Partially raised in the uptown part of the Bronx, Gun Hill Road area. I'm a business rotational associate at Google. One day, I remember us riding our bikes to the pool, which was five blocks ahead of where we where we stayed, and my dad found out that we got in big trouble. Our bikes got stolen. It was a big thing. Like I, I never pictured it as a violent space until that wake up call that he gave us. Um, and then also getting older and becoming less naive around you know, the things that was happening around me in the neighborhood and watching my older stepbrother um, go through a lot of the things that he went through kind of opened my eyes to what was actually happening and the danger of it. So my oldest stepbrother at the time, he was about 12 years older than I was and he was starting to get involved in gangs. Um, and there was a turf war happening around the time that I was caught at the pool, um, and my dad really didn't want us being around it. Um, so, you know, that's, it made it really dangerous. You know, I feel that gang stuff made it difficult for us to just be out and about because we were targets. Um, 
And I didn't really think of that at the time, but now looking back at it, it made sense as to you know why I wouldn't go more north or take the two train down next to three stops because you know my stepbrother was a blood and you know there were Latin kings around, there was Crips around, there were a bunch of other neighborhood groups, which made it um, tricky to get around. In Sean's neighborhood, gangs drew the impassable boundaries, but the boundaries in Justin's were drawn by rumors and anxieties around Harlem. He was told the Upper East and West Side were safe, while other neighborhoods around it were not. But an act of violence in his neighborhood led him to question those messages. My name is Justin Steele. I'm 37 years old. I'm from the Upper West Side, West 89th Street, and I am a professor. I think one of the things that struck me early on was um, the error of the um, messages I was getting about where I was safe and where I wasn't safe and where I should be and where I shouldn't be. Um, Because I think people generally felt, oh, Upper East Side, very safe. Um, I think the impression was Harlem less safe, but in fact, some of my experiences of violence as a child, um, they were primarily in some of the wealthiest, whitest um, neighborhoods. The most direct experience of violence that I had as a child was um, coming home from school one day with a friend of mine, and we were at the bus stop at 86th Street and Madison Avenue, which is just as the name suggests, is a very um, wealthy residential commercial district full of, full of people. And we were waiting for the bus, um, and all of a sudden I was hit very, very hard in the back by a very hard object. And I turned around and someone had hit me with a, a stick, almost like a two by four. Um, but it wasn't that thick. It was very solid, but it wasn't quite that thick. Um, and then um, this person who was with a couple, a couple other people said, give me your bus pass. Um, and I wasn't really thinking, just out of impulse, just held onto it tighter. And this person tried to wrench it out of my hand and I unthinkingly just gripped it tighter. And then this person punched me, this guy punched me in the face um, when I continued holding it. And then the bus arrived. So then I quickly ran onto the bus with my friend following behind. Um, and then uh, discovered that I was, my face, my nose was bleeding and bleeding down onto my, um, I, I went to this um, uh, private school, so I was wearing, we wore a uniform that involved a shirt and a tie, and so then there was blood all over my tie and my shirt. The whole point of that story is that, um, you know, it's in these sites where stereotypically, um, I think most New Yorkers would think you would be most safe, where I was most vulnerable. And and I think sometimes in New York in that time period, there was this almost, I think especially among white, middle and upper class New Yorkers, there was, uh, you know, in the the 70s, I was just an infant, but um, in the 80s and into the 90s of just diffuse anxiety, diffuse fear of violence without much conception of it. But when I was going to church at Riverside, or for other reasons, or going to the studio museum in Harlem and and walking around Harlem could just be chance but I was always safe and generally felt quite safe so anyway that just gave me the sense that the messages I was getting about what was places that were safe and places that were not 
might not be very accurate. On the Upper West Side, diffuse anxiety made the boundaries clear. But for others, boundaries are drawn by necessity. When Carmen's parents moved from China to New York in the 60s, the language barrier meant Chinatown was the only place they could go. But gangs coming to the neighborhood forced them to make different decisions for their children. My name's Carmen Chung. I am 24 years old, and I grew up in the Lower East Side of New York, about five minutes outside of uh, Chinatown. And currently, I'm a first-year master's student at uh, MIT studying urban planning. I think when my parents first moved to the area, uh, safety is a concern, but as immigrants, you go to where you can survive. And uh, with limited English-speaking skills, uh, Chinatown was really the only place they could be at. And I, would s I don't know specifically how safe or unsafe it was when my dad first moved there, because he moved there in the 60s. And I would say that the gangs were probably much worse, um, whereas we're at their peak in the 80s. In Chinatown, where I think they felt like it was a safe neighborhood when I was growing up. Uh, when my brother was growing up, uh, he's about uh, 15 years older than me. Uh, my dad actually sent my brother to Connecticut where my uncle lived because he felt like there were a lot of gangs in Chinatown and that if he stayed in the neighborhood that he would get involved with them. So my dad actually sent him away when uh, he was in high school. Uh, I wouldn't say my brother is like a rebellious kid or a kid who seems like he would get into gangs, but uh, he's someone that peer pressure is something that's hard when you're young. And I think uh, my dad saw him as susceptible to peer pressure and there were just so many people who were involved with gangs that it just seemed like it would be a likelihood. Um, it wasn't, I don't know if, I don't know if they felt, my brother felt like he would be threatened if he didn't join, join one, but I think it was just so common that my dad didn't even want that possibility. In these uncertain moments of fear and anxiety, whose safety is considered the most important? During the 90s was when Giuliani became mayor, and he was very much um, someone who transformed the city as a whole, not just Chinatown, but all areas in the city to crack down on uh, violence. And um, he had that broken window sort of policy or um, approach to crime in the city. I think because of his... Um, era as mayor, a lot of the city became safer. Um, so I think there was a shift in safety in the city in general that um, Chinatown benefited from. For some, Giuliani's policies benefited their neighborhoods, but others saw how those policies privileged the safety of a few and permanently labeled others as perpetrators, leaving them vulnerable to violent policing. I definitely think that um, as I grew up, I had a strong sense that New York City was changing and becoming um, I, I mean, the words that come to mind are safer and safer, but I think it depends on safe for whom exactly um, and safe from what exactly. Um, I think um, for my daily travels around the city, I think in the 2000s, 
the late 2000s, it, it felt very safe. And I think um, even in the late 1990s, I think there was this sense that the city was safer and safer, but not, not necessarily for everyone. I mean, so I think there was, through this time period, a, a sense that, um, for me, the city seemed much safer, but that still um, it was often a very violent place for young black men, and that there was also increasing sense of um, police impunity. Um, I remember very clearly the um, beating of, of Abner Louima, which was um, just so horrific and sadistic and very much highlighted um, the vulnerability of especially young black men to police violence. Um, so I think that my sense of, of my own vulnerability decreased as a sense of others' vulnerability increased. In the Bronx with gangs, it just was what it was. That's what I knew, that's what I was born into. The cops was a new thing to me. And then especially within the context of Trayvon Martin and you know, that happened my sophomore year of college. Um, and the buildup from there, it's really colored my, my perspective on like what is logical and what's not. And I guess I should probably check myself there in terms of trying to deconstruct why it's a, why it's natural and normal for there to be gang tension and not for cops to agitate civilians. My oldest stepbrother, I wouldn't consider him a bad guy, even though he was involved in gangs, but I would consider the cop that stopped me for not having a bike light a bad guy because I wasn't doing anything. So that, I feel like that has colored my perspective around police and people. Violence complicates our relationship with the city. It allows fear to lurk in the back of our minds. It creates a moment of hesitation before opening our front doors. Each person I spoke with had to contend with violence, where that moment of hesitation could have become a lifetime of fear. But in considering that hesitation and knowing that fear, they chose to walk forward into their city anyway. Thank you for listening. This has been Here There Be Dragons. I'm Jess Myers, a grad student at MIT's Department of Urban Planning. Each person I interviewed for this podcast also drew a map of their childhood and adulthood in the city. You can find a link to those in the show notes. If you've visited or lived in New York and want to share your experiences with me, download the base map, use the maps in our gallery as your guide, and draw your own experiences of safety and danger in the city. I'll post them in the gallery. You can send those to us at collabradio at mit.edu. Or you can record a question or comment about the episode by calling into 1-888-821-7563, extension 58258. Some of those might be a part of the final episode of the series. Music for Here There Be Dragons is written by New York-based trio Octopus 2000. Check out more of their music on Facebook and join us next episode when we talk about fear and gentrification.